Baptist Broadcast. Thank you so much for tuning in through Spotify, iTunes, Podcast Addict, Anchor.fm. If you're watching on YouTube, please smash that subscribe button and the bell for continued notifications. Thank you again for tuning in. By the end of this video, hopefully there is an increased awareness or discernment as to how Baptists are distinguished from Roman Catholicism, and boy, oh boy, are there many differences. Uh, There's already been um, three parts of this series released. The first two parts dealt with Eastern Orthodoxy. Uh, The third part was part one of Roman Catholicism, and here we're at part two. I anticipate a third part of Roman Catholicism, uh, but we'll see. Um, We're going to get started here picking up after ecclesiology. So in the last installment, we looked at justification, formal ministry, or the offices within the church and and how we disagree there. Um, We looked at ecclesiology, church structure, government, things of that nature. Uh, And now we're going to we're going to come to the sacrament or the ordinance of baptism. And uh, I'm just going to go ahead and begin with, with what Rome believes. And I have three citations from the uh, Catechism of the Catholic Church, all coming from uh, Part 2, Chapter 2, Section 1, Article 1, Number 1213, Number 1263, and Number 1265. So those are the citations from... Those are the the markers, if you will, from the uh, the Catechism of the Catholic Church. So beginning of the first quote that I have from that catechism, it says this. Holy baptism is the basis of the whole Christian life, the gateway to life in the spirit, vitae or vitae spiritualis ianua. ianua. I don't know how to pronounce that. Uh, and the door which gives access to the other sacraments. Through baptism, we are freed from sin and reborn as sons of God. We become members of Christ, are incorporated into the church, and made sharers in her mission. Baptism is the sacrament of regeneration through water in the Word. Now, uh, what you'll immediately notice, if you've already watched the first two parts where I engaged Eastern, Eastern Orthodoxy, Um, that here we have a commonality between um, Roman Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy, and that is the notion of baptismal regeneration. That it is the ordinance or the sacrament of baptism that affects regeneration uh, in the uh, catechumen. And and so there's a, there's a, uh, either in the catechumen or, uh, or in the infant to be baptized. Um, and so uh, there's a similarity there. And here what this paragraph is getting at is that in terms of experimental or experiential Christian life, baptism is the door into that. Um, and so it's really the first step that a person makes in you know, entering into uh, the fullness of the Christian life. And I'll go ahead and read the second, uh, the second paragraph, uh, because it, each of these paragraphs goes into more detail. It says, By baptism, all sins are forgiven, original sin and all personal sins, as well as all punishment for sin. In those who have been reborn, nothing remains that would impede their entry into the kingdom of God. 
neither Adam's sin, nor personal sin, nor the consequences of sin, the gravest of which is separation from God. And then the uh, third and last uh, section that I have quoted here is, Baptism not only purifies from all sins, but also makes the neophyte, the new convert, a new creature. An adopted son of God who has become a partaker of the divine nature, member of Christ and co-heir with him, and a temple of the Holy Spirit. All of that is achieved through water baptism, uh, or in the case of Roman Catholics, as a Baptist, I would say through, through the sprinkling uh, of, of baptism, or, you know, that's, that's what they call it. I would say that it's not baptism at all, but that's the point under dispute. I'm not just going to make the claim. I'm going to try to uh, talk about that here in a moment, but um, uh, but there you have it. So, you, you notice how heavily loaded the ordinance of baptism is for the Roman Catholic Church. It's as if the entirety of the Christian life really hinges on it. I mean, it is it is described as the gateway to life in the Spirit. All right. So, so what I want you to 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 understand and realize here is that in terms of Rome's view of baptism everything really hinges on it, whether or not it is performed. It is, an, is a, a, a crucial question. It must be performed. It must take place in order for the Christian life to take place. So the implications of that are absolute, absolutely massive. Now, a lot of people will, uh, I, I think, uh, wrongly characterize Rome as those who believe that if your infant isn't um, baptized, then your infant will suffer in hell eternally. And uh, they actually, historically, I'm not sure where they've been on that. I think they've, there has, have been uh, a multiplicity of views on that. Um, but in terms of the catechism, it seems to just remain agnostic about uh, the destiny of uh, an infant dying in infancy and and appeals to the mercy of God. So it's not as if, you know, every Roman Catholic out there is walking around saying, you know, if you don't baptize your infant, your infant's going to hell. That's, that's, at least that's not the, uh, n not the impression I get from reading the, the Catholic catechism. Although it would seem that as loaded down as baptism is with all of these blessings and benefits of the Christian life really being contingent upon it, the implication would seem to be that in normal circumstances, those who are not baptized will suffer in hell because it's through baptism that one is born again. It's through baptism that one is initially justified and so on. There's so much put on the ordinance of baptism. Um, now, uh, turning turning from that, you're going to see that uh, Baptists have a very different view Um which is obvious, I think, at a surface level reading, but we'll go into it a little bit more here. What Baptists believe. Baptism is an ordinance, and this is coming from the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith, uh, chapter 29, article 1. Baptism is an ordinance of the New Testament ordained by Jesus Christ to be unto the party baptized a sign of his fellowship with him in his death and resurrection, of his being engrafted into him, of remission of sins, and of giving up un, in, unto God through Jesus Christ to live and walk in newness of life. So, in, in, in a certain way, baptism still uh, 
is still understood to be an initiatory event. Uh, it's something that happens at the beginning of the Christian life, the visible Christian life, we might say. Um, and it is something that initiates the believer into the fullness of the practical or experimental Christian life. That's true. Uh, I mean, as a Baptist, I would say that baptism uh, occurs in concert with entrance into the membership of a local church. And the local church is the predominant place wherein the Christian life is lived out. Uh, it's lived out within the fellowship of the local church. And so, um, in a sense, baptism remains a doorway into the experimental or experiential Christian life, the practical Christian life. However, what we would not say is that objectively uh, objectively considered, inwardly and outwardly, we would not say that baptism is absolutely the beginning of the Christian life. Rather, we would say that it would be the inward faith of the saint or of the believer that the Holy Spirit is pleased to work antecedently to baptism. All right, so baptism baptism for us is a sign of something that has already transpired antecedently to the administration of that sign. So baptism is a sign of the thing signified. The thing signified by baptism is regeneration, union with Christ, and, and other things that we could, uh, other themes uh, in Scripture that we could point out that baptism really signifies our, our death and burial, uh, with him, uh, so to speak, which is a, a, a signification or an allusion to our union with, with our Lord. Um, it's the, the ordinance of baptism is not itself effectual unto any of, of the blessings of the new covenant. Um, and so it, it's not as if baptism is a, uh, an absolute condition whereby so long as someone is baptized, they receive the blessings of the new covenant. Uh, it, it doesn't work that way. Um, practically and externally speaking, yes, baptism uh, precedes the full participation in the blessings and benefits of the new covenant, say the, the fellowship of the saints or the, the administration and the observation and participation in the Lord's Supper. So practically and externally, that's the case. However, um, Baptism being conferred or administered upon a saint is not absolutely the trigger or the condition of participation in the new covenant. Um, it, it's it's a um, it is a baptism itself is a blessing of the new covenant. What gets someone into the new covenant and thus uh, and thus makes all the blessings of the new covenant available to that person is the working of faith by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and, and we would even, some Baptists would stop short of saying that faith is a condition into the new covenant, although I think you can use that as long as you qualify it. Um, uh, but some would even say, and, and I, would, I, would, I would follow them on this, is that faith, is actually, faith itself is a blessing of the new covenant, that God, um, in virtue of election, has chosen uh, believers in Jesus Christ, and in virtue of that choosing his people in Jesus Christ, has conferred upon them uh, all the blessings of the new covenant, all the blessings of their new covenant head. Faith would be, of course, included in that our Lord Jesus Christ purchased faith for us, and that faith is given to us by the working of the Holy Spirit. And so... Um, 
we would not understand baptism to be uh, the secondary efficient cause, we might say, of one's entrance upon the Christian life. The primary efficient cause would be God. The instrumental efficient cause or secondary efficient cause would be faith that God works in us that then allows us to move forward in the Christian life and allows us to lawfully partake of, of gospel ordinances. Uh, Paul says in Romans 14 that uh, without faith, uh, you know, if we, whatever we do, if we do it apart from faith, it is sin. And so uh, baptism is no different than that. We would see uh, baptism or participation in any sacrament or ordinance apart from faith as being uh, a sin. These things must be approached uh, by faith. All right. Now, what I'll read just to shed some more light on Rome is a... Uh, before I read this, uh, I'll explain what it's about. Um, as a Baptist, what, and what I'm saying to you here is that we don't believe that baptism itself affects the change of relation between uh, believer and God, uh, nor do we believe that baptism itself affects an internal change in uh, the believer. It, uh, again, in and of itself, it, it does not. Um, does baptism do something? Yes. We'll get to that here in a moment. Does the Lord's Supper do something, or is it a means unto something? Yes. But considered in themselves, these things affect nothing. They must be approached by faith, and God must give the blessing, so to speak. Um, in Rome, there is an expression in Latin that is uh, ex opere operato, which means by the work worked. And uh, Catholic, I get this definition from Catholic.com. It's, it's uh, by Carl Keating, and Carl Keating says, Ex opere operato is a Latin expression meaning by the work worked. It refers to the fact that the sacraments, baptism is one of these, confer grace when the sign is validly affected. So long as, the, as long as the sign is validly affected, that is, as long as it's administered rightly, then it affects something. Uh, it affects that which it, it, it is said to affect. In the case of baptism, regeneration, uh, initial justification, and so on. So it refers to the fact that the sacraments confer grace when the sign is validly effective, um, not as a result of activity on the part of the recipient, uh, by the power, uh, but by the power and promise of God. And he's going to go on and he's going to say, Now, to receive the fruits of the sacraments, you should be properly disposed. At least in adults, there must be a predispositional receptivity to receive the grace that is always available in a validly affected sacrament. This means reception of grace via the sacraments is not automatic, but the ex opere operato nature of the sacraments reminds us that while a proper disposition is necessary to receive grace in the sacraments, it isn't the cause of that grace. All right, so... Um, in other words, one of the ways Rome gets away from a, or, or attempts to get away from a synergistic or Pelagian version of soteriology or salvation, whilst also maintaining the importance of a sacerdotal system, like what they have in the sacraments, um, they have uh, developed over the years this doctrine of ex opere operato. And um, 
And the thought is, is, well, if the grace is contained within the sacrament itself, objectively considered, then, then we're not the cause of it. And in that sense, we can say that we're not, we're not receiving the grace because we're cooperating with God, because we're doing something that is getting us the grace, so to speak. We're not the cause of it. There's still an objective grace and an objective sacrament, and it is given of God. And so they can avoid charges of Pelagianism or uh, or or um, or synergism uh, that way. Uh, however, what one of the implications of ex opere operato seems to be is that it is this it is the administration as so long as it's rightly administered, it's the administration of the ordinance or the sacrament itself that confers the grace. Um, so long as the person receiving the sacrament is properly disposed. Um, and in some ways, that doesn't apply to baptism um, because a, a, a person, they qualify here with adults in this paragraph, but if we're talking about infant baptism, an infant, uh, we're not, they're not looking for a properly disposed infant in order to administer baptism to them. That's different for adults, they would say, but for an infant, nothing is being observed in the infant that would indicate a proper disposition. It is assumed that baptism, uh, again, by the work worked, by the, by the sacrament rightly administered, it is assumed that that sacrament will affect that proper disposition in that infant, at least initially, right? And, um, and so what we would say is that, no, it's, it's not the work worked that affects the change in the infant or anyone else, um, properly disposed or not. Uh, it's the Holy Spirit uh, that affects that change. And the Holy Spirit affecting that change in us then allows us to approach the ordinances by faith and it is by faith that those ordinances are, are, are then meaningful to us. And not meaningful in the sense that they're not objectively meaningful and only subjectively meaningful, so long as we have faith. But, but meaningful to us in the sense that we benefit from them, when otherwise, without faith, we would not benefit from them, we would be condemned. Because if we do not approach it by faith, it is sin. It must be approached by faith. This is what, this is, again, this is something that uh, Paul says, he says, um, uh, let me see if I can, if I can find it. Uh, he says in Romans 14, 23, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he who does not eat from faith, because he does not eat from faith for whatever is not from faith is sin. So if the impulse or the desire to uh, approach any sacrament or ordinance, uh, is not from faith or by faith or because of faith, uh, then it's sin. It's there's some other motivating factor in that. So that's one of the reasons why actually we would not baptize infants, um, because there there is no indication that there is faith, and anything done apart from faith is sin. Um, another reason we would say we wouldn't baptize infants is because if a parent is taking his or her or their infant to be baptized, um, then where's we, we would understand that they're doing so. That maybe the claim would be that they're doing so out of a disposition of faith. 
but the question would be, what is the faith in? Uh, is the faith in the work worked? Is the faith in the ordinance or the sacrament itself? In which case, the object of faith would be not Christ, uh, would not be uh, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It would be something else. It might be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit indirectly through something else. Um, but in this case, uh, it would seem that there would be a faith, an inordinate faith, in the work worked that thereby their infant would be secured in the kingdom of God. So it would be a misplaced faith, it would seem to me. Um, and so as, as Baptists, we would say, no, um, not that kind of faith, but a faith in God the Trinity um, and, and in faith that God the Trinity is indeed going to do what he says he's going to do. If we don't approach things by that kind of faith, that is a saving faith, uh, with the only saving object there is, which is our Lord Jesus Christ, um, then it's sin. So uh, that would be one of the reasons we would say infant baptism is invalid. Of course, the pushback would be, well, uh, you don't know that that infant doesn't have faith, um, and so it would be presumptuous to, uh, to, to assume that they don't have faith. And I would want to respond that, no, it's actually presumptuous to assume the positive, which is that they do have faith, um, that would be presumptuous, and that would not be in line with uh, the, the, the constant tone and tenor of the New Testament, which exhorts and admonishes us to examine and observe the fruits of the Holy Spirit, and, uh, and, and also the exhortation that we receive in the epistle of James, uh, to, uh, to, to validate one's profession of faith through their works. Um, and so uh, that would be a, a, an initial response along those lines. Um, continuing on in terms of what we believe as Baptists, Second London Baptist Confession of Faith, uh, chapter 29, article 2, those who do actually profess repentance towards God, faith in and obedience to our Lord Jesus Christ are the only proper subjects of this ordinance. You know, what's interesting is uh, the Didache, uh, or the Teaching of the Twelve Apostles, which is one of the earlier uh, post-canonical documents in the Christian Church, historically speaking, uh, that we have available to us, um, really only gives instructions for baptism as applied to catechumen, those who have uh, been tutored, as it were, or catechized uh as to the uh, sum and substance of the holy faith. Um, and then upon that, the, the completion of that catechesis, uh, then baptism ensues. And so uh, there's kind of like this probationary period for prospective church members where they are catechumen, and then upon their completion of their catechesis, they're baptized. There is no mention in that document of infant baptism. Now, you can't use that. You can't say, well, that's a knockdown, drag out argument for credo baptism, my, my position. Um, so I would never do that. I'm, I'm not presuming to, to say that's what the didact or the didache is doing. But it is to say that um, the importance and the weight placed upon infant baptism by Roman Catholicism, Eastern Orthodoxy, uh, etc., would seem to demand early emphasis, and there just does not seem to be that kind of early emphasis in the early church, even in the even in the uh, uh, post-canonical extra-biblical literature. 
Um, and so that's a that's a consideration. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean my position's the earliest one, but it does mean uh, I don't think people can people aren't as on uh, on they're not on as solid ground as they think they are when they claim that their uh, baptismal tradition is the first tradition. Um, it, it's if you're talking about post-biblical historical theology, um, then it's very murky. I would, of course, believe and hold that exegetically from the scriptures, um, credo-baptism is is the clear position. But when we're, if you're trying to use history to vindicate your position, which cannot be your only consideration, um, then it's you're on shaky ground uh, until maybe the third century, fourth century, somewhere around there. So uh, we believe that profession of faith must precede baptism. The reason for that is that uh, whatever is not from faith is sin. Um, and, um, and moreover, that is, of course, what seems to be the consistent uh, biblical example, unless you're wanting to make an argument from silence uh, on the foundation of the household passages in places like Acts. Um, one of the earliest post-scriptural, uh, I'm reading through my outline here, and I was about to uh, basically say to you what I've already said about the Didache, uh, so I won't go, I won't do that again, um, but another place in the Second London Confession, chapter 29.4, says immersion or dipping of the person in water is necessary to the due administration of this ordinance, which again is is something that's rejected in large part by Rome. It wasn't always rejected by Rome. Uh, and now here we're not talking about the age of baptism, but the mode of baptism, uh, which is immersion. Eastern Orthodoxy, uh, at least some wings of it, uh, traditions therein, uh, believe that uh, infants should be immersed, and so they'll baptize the infant through immersion, so at least they're getting the mode right. Uh, the infant is, of course, not too happy about it. Um, but even like, you go back to the 13th century, and you read some uh, someone like uh, Thomas Aquinas, um, and what what he'll say is, um, things like it's safer uh, to be baptized by immersion. Uh, so he, one of the things he says in uh, uh, the third part, Summa Theologiae, question, uh, the section is sec questions 60 through, through 90, and this is question 66, article 7. He says, and therefore, although it is safer... Well, I'll just read from the beginning of this paragraph. He says, I... Uh, and of course, he's interacting with an objector who says that immersion is absolutely necessary. So he is disagreeing with that position. He would be disagreeing with our position. It's interesting, though, that it was a large enough position for him to interact with. He's, he's doing this in the 13th century. So he's interacting with somebody. And, um, and, and, and he's trying to refute somebody here. Um, so he says, on the contrary, it is written, let us draw near with a true heart in fullness of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with clean water. And he says, I answer that. In the sacrament of baptism, water is put to the use of, wash, of, of a washing of the body, 
whereby to signify the inward washing away of sins. Now, washing may be done with water, not only by immersion, but also by sprinkling or pouring. And, therefore, although it is safer to baptize by immersion, because this is the more ordinary fashion, yet baptism can be conferred by sprinkling or also by pouring, according to, and then he give some reasons here. But it's interesting that uh, if you're just talking about the historical tradition, that Thomas is admitting here that immersion as a mode of baptism, again, we're not talking about the age, we're not talking about infants versus uh, those who are professing believers and all of that. So this is a distinct discussion. Um, But he is admitting that immersion is or was the ordinary way of, of baptism. And uh, so, uh, again, that's out of the Th- Summa Theologiae. Third part, questions, uh, or question 66, Article 7. So that's baptism. Uh, I, we, we, could, uh, we could spend a lot of time on that. And uh, if, I, if I continue doing this series uh, with Lutheranism and Presbyterianism, which I'm, I'm considering doing, uh, then we'll, we'll get into a great deal more about baptism and the reason why, the actual more fundamental reason why we Baptists are Baptists, and, and it has to do with our view of the biblical covenants. So um, let's move on now to the Lord's Supper. We're already at 30 minutes, so um, what I may do here, let's do this. Um, I'll go ahead and stop. So this will be a part, uh, the, se- the second part of Roman Catholicism, contrasting it with Baptist theology. And um, we're at 30 minutes already, so this is just going to be its own part. Uh, baptism will be its own part. So um, hopefully this was helpful to you. If it was, please give a thumbs up. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the channel and, uh, and share this. Uh, if it helped you, maybe it would help someone else as well. God bless.